Mindfulness Mode 515. The reality that we know on this earth isn't really all that there is and that there's so much more and it's an integral part of our everyday lives, which we I don't think we really live like it is. Mindful Tribe, I'm sure that every one of us has struggled with death, with letting go, with this whole notion of, you know, how do we move forward at one point in our life or more. And that's what our interview today is about. Our interview today is with two women who have written a phenomenal book called Beyond Ever After. And I have to tell you, I picked up this book and it just pulled me in to the point that I was fascinated and couldn't put it down until I was finished. The book is phenomenal and you can go to beyondeverafter.com and check out that website. But with me today, I have the authors, Catherine Weisenberg and Jocelyn Montanero. And uh, this is going to be a fascinating, fascinating discussion, I'm sure of it. But uh, I'll start with you, Catherine. What does mindfulness mean to you? Well, um, you know, mindfulness, I know, is a a very frequent term that's bantered about, right? Um, So for me, um, I'm going to kind of go back to this idea of Well, of course, obviously, it means being judgment-free. It means, you know, not being reactive, those sorts of things, leaving space to listen with your heart. In our book, we talk about heart-to-heart communication. So I think mindfulness is really dropping into the heart center and sensing from there rather than being, you know, I think mindfulness is a misnomer in the label. Because mm-hmm. mindfulness is this idea that, um, you know, you have to drop mind or drop that part of the chattering, nattering mind in order to drop into some other place. Uh, so for me, mindfulness is, is more a no mind concept than it is mindful. So, Right. And Jocelyn, this book is about you... It's about your husband, and of course, it's about Catherine. But uh, Jocelyn, what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, uh, you know, Catherine said it very eloquently. For me, it just means being really intentioned about my thoughts and Mm -hmm. my words and my actions. And that's actually changed for me a lot with this whole experience that was laid out in the book because before this, I was probably the least mindful person you would know. And Catherine would probably snicker and tell you that would be true. And um, he's got the book, he kind of got the peer review. Yeah. Um, and um, I just really didn't think about much what I said, what I thought, really how my actions affected other people than myself. And since then, this whole experience, I'm just much more aware and more intentioned. And I guess that's what it would be for me. Right. And you are a lawyer and your husband, a lawyer as well. <laughs> and you just came across as, yeah, that was very clear in the book that you were a fairly skeptical person. And what changed all that? Now, I kind of know because I, I read the book, but what changed all that for you, that part near the beginning of the book where everything seemed to take a right-hand turn? Well, as you said, I was skeptical. And for your listeners, what I was skeptical about uh, is just you know the presence of a higher power 
of a God of, you know, everything that isn't something I can touch, feel, see, eat, drink, you know, I, I'm, I was very much a, in the a physical kind of a person. And so when I was, my sister had encouraged me to do this writing with Catherine, I didn't really want to do it because one, I didn't believe that she could do it. And two, I was so mad at God as it was that I didn't really want to have anything to do with him because he was killing my husband in my, in my mom. You might want to hit that back note of what was the situation that Kevin, your husband was in a coma. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting off topic. You asked me skeptics. You know, when you have an experience like this, and and maybe you should talk about it a little more, is you just can't deny that that it's all there. You, you know that the reality that we know on this earth isn't really all that there is, and that there is so much more, and it's an integral part of our everyday lives, which we I don't think we really live like it is. Right. Right. And Mindful Tribe, I'll share a little bit of back information about Jocelyn and about Catherine. Jocelyn spent most of her life in California. And like I said, she became a lawyer and she worked for many years as a lawyer, working with divorced couples and, you know, criminal defendants and that kind of thing. And then, as you've already heard, her husband, through a health condition, ended up in a coma. And that's when Catherine kind of stepped into the picture. And Catherine has been sharing her unique ability to communicate and dialogue with God and with deceased people and with coma patients for decades. So that's what happened in this book is she was able to communicate with Kevin, Jocelyn's husband, who was in a coma. And it became very clear that that was really life-changing how that communication happened. And as a reader, you were able to really make it very clear that this was not just some sort of fictional situation that you would come up with, but yet it was like real true situation. And Catherine, how did that happen? How were you able to make that clear to your readers that this was actually a real situation that was happening. Well, we had the advantage of going through this experience in real time. And my gift is that I write, not like I'm completely present and I don't go anywhere. I know it sounds kind of strange, but I write. So we had all of that dialogue. We had the writings. There's six complete writings in the book and we had those. So we live the experience too. So it wasn't really that difficult to convey it because we had, and as, and as a matter of fact, we actually recorded the sessions, which I never do except for that first one. So, but basically we tell the story as a four part narrative. I provide the spiritual overlay and kind of talk about my gift. Jocelyn provides what Kevin's condition was and her fears. And then Kevin, using through my gift, provides his vantage point while in a coma, while dying, while after death. And then we have the God piece that comes in too. So I think that that's why you sense the realness is we tried to really capture that as a way, if we were telling you, Bruce, we were sitting with you telling you the story. So we didn't have to make anything up. You know, Jocelyn always says, well, her part was easy. I do the more spiritual level, you know, context of that. 
But, you know, like she said, if you, if you live the story, you know the story, you can tell the story. Right. And Jocelyn, have you communicated with Kevin recently? And if you have, I'm very interested to know what that was like. You know, I haven't recently, but since he's this, we started this, I think there's like 52 writings. So I've done a lot of them over the years and, you know, we can only get six in the book. We couldn't make the book too long, but since the book's been done, you know, I've had well, dozens of conversations with him, communications, I should say. And, you know, for me being a single parent, you know, my youngest son had just turned 13 when he kept, when Kevin died. And as he was growing up, he's now um, almost 20. You know, I was able to talk with him about things that were happening with the children. And so I didn't really feel like I was, you know, going at it alone still. And as you know, from the book, you know, it's very specific, you know, what the people who are deceased know what you're doing and what you're up to. And even things like, and I think this is in the book, like when my son, you know, wanted to pick up the guitar, I signed him up for guitar lessons. And then I I bought him a a teenage size Martin guitar and Martins are really well-known guitars. And then the next writing I had, you know, Kevin says, I'm so happy Will picked up the guitar, which he loved to play. And I'm really happy you bought him a Martin because, you know, you got to start out with a really good instrument and that's a perfect size for him. I mean, it's so specific. So, you know, you don't really feel like the relationship is over when you can still have those conversations. Right. Uh, Yeah. And so you still feel his presence though on a day-to-day basis. Is that true? Oh yeah. And in the book, I talk about like the sign from him, from like the squirrel getting a sign from him. And Mm -hmm. I get, and and Catherine should speak to that, the divine synchronicities. That's a really, I think, an important thing for people to be aware of. Um, And I get signs from him all the time. Often there's a squirrel involved, but often it's things like I'm in the car and I'm driving and I'm thinking about him and I have the radio on and, you know, people don't really listen to the radio much these days, but I have the radio on and Van Morrison, Brown Eyed Girl comes on, which is the song he always said made him think of me because I was his brown eyed girl or a James Taylor song. We love James Taylor or, or, you know, just things that he just sends me these signs or I'm, I'm having coffee with some friends and we're talking about him. And then this butterfly comes, this beautiful purple butterfly and purple is my favorite color. And for 20 minutes, it just flits around the table, lands on my shoulder, lands on my friend's shoulder, sits on the table and stayed the whole time we were there and then left when we left. And the next writing, you know, he, He said, you know, the butterfly was your favorite color. Did you notice? You know, so we're getting these signs all the time, um, as is in the book, and Catherine can speak to more. Right. So, yeah, Catherine, can you tell us a little bit more about these synchronicities that you are able to help people see? Well, I think that we all have them. So it's not about helping people see, it's about helping people not dismiss what they experience. Which kind of tracks back to the mindfulness, right? Yes. We're so bombarded, so other focused, so our attention's flittering here, there, and everywhere. And then we have these minds that when we have an experience, these sense-making machines want to put it through the Play-Doh machine and, you know, say it means this. And so when we're talking about signs, we're talking about things like you smelled your grandmother's perfume and she's been gone for 10 years or various different kinds of things. You know, your grandma, your brother loved cardinals or the cardinal bird or, you know, 
And then the Cardinals come and sit at your window and stare at you like the squirrel story. It can be the whole gamut, you know, for some people it, I mean, it's very individualized, but it's something that you recognize as an association with your departed loved one. And instead of dismissing that, you go like, oh, wow, that's so weird. I think whenever we go like, what's that? That's strange. And, but we feel our heart flutter a little bit and we're, Mm -hmm. we know that there's something odd about that. And, and, and we, we associate with that person, the person that's gone instead of dismissing and say, Oh, I'm crazy. That's just a coincidence. That's nothing that we allow ourselves to have that experience because our loved ones are reaching out and trying to touch us in the ways that they are, you know, and surely all of us have had those experiences. We even have on our website an opportunity for people to share their stories. And we're getting flooded with people sharing their stories because they're like, when I was eight, this happened, or I've never told anybody. So people are like coming out of the woodwork because everybody's had that experience. So it's when you have that experience of wonder or grace that you associate or love, you just you're scared and you feel all of a sudden you feel your deceased mother's presence saying it's okay. Sometimes you hear like their voice in your head. And so instead of shoving that away and dismissing it, you just say, thank you. You know, you you go to gratitude and the more you widen to that, the more you're going to have those experiences. What I believe and know in my own experience, the more that I am just being open, the open hand, the open palm, the more things can come. So it's not, it's not a how to as much as it is owning your truth, owning your own experience and trusting yourself and the person you love. Cause we're all connected through the portal of our hearts is my belief and my experience. Right. And Mindful Tribe, you can share those stories at the website beyondeverafter.com. So do check that out if you have a story. But once you read this book, I'm sure you'll want to share a story. Uh, Jocelyn, now on the flip side of this, and, I want to ask. And I'll you, write you back. Just wanted to let you know that. Oh, will you? Yeah, oh, cool. Everyone who writes it, I, I, I send something back so far. Um. That's cool. That's really cool. Jocelyn, you've talked so much about how connected you feel to Kevin, but let's talk about the other side, about letting go. You're continuing to live your life here on earth, and it's important to be able to have that balance, isn't it, about letting go, but still feeling his presence. Can you address that for us? Yes, at least in the beginning. It's weird because since I had communication with him after he died, even though he wasn't really here, I didn't really feel, you know, like he was gone. And in fact, after my husband died and I was still doing these writings, my son came to me, my teenager, and he said, you know, I kind of feel like you're cheating and it's not fair because not everybody gets this opportunity. And I, he felt like it was preventing me from, you know, letting go and moving on because most people it's so final and it wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, final for me. Although Kevin, in all the writings since he's died, has always encouraged me to move on and live my life. And and a lot of it, especially after the first year or two, still was, you know, 
wanting me to get out of the house and start engaging again in life because I'd hold myself up for so long. And so that was in the beginning hard. I, I think I don't, I didn't really start like the process as most people would go through it earlier on, but then you get to a point and, and you, you know, you feel just calm because you know, you're always, they're always with you and you don't need to talk to them all the time because you know that they love you. You know that they're waiting for you. You know, you're going to be together again. And that gives you the freedom, or at least me to go ahead and live this life as it should be lived. You know, because so have you moved forward to another relationship or to another marriage or anything like that? Or have you even thought about it? You know, I, I did date somebody. It was probably more than four years, probably four and a half years after he died. And it was a really good experience to, you know, kind of get, you know, back out there. But I'm going to always feel married to Kevin. I, I still wear his wedding ring. It's still on my finger. And I was just, in fact, texting my son because I was having trouble getting my married name added to my driver's license because I didn't I didn't change my social security card. I'm getting off topic, but the DMV is like, well, just take his name off. And I was like, no, I'm married. You don't get it. Even though he's dead, I'm, st- I'm still married. So it is, it is a kind of a weird dynamic. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Catherine, I'm, I'm just curious, do you help people like this on a weekly and a monthly basis to communicate with either people in comas or people that have passed? You know, with some regularity, it's not like I have a shingle out. Um, I work by referral only. Um, I, by that, I mean somebody who knows me. Um, and now with the book launch and the book out, we're just focusing on that. So I'm not doing any uh, sessions for people, but yeah, I mean, and I've been doing this for 32 years. So I've done hundreds of these kinds of things. And just this week, you know, helped two friends, two referrals from people who, you know, because sadly people are dying and actually, and you know, this, there's also the God section in the book, so the deceased in coma writings are very small fraction of the kind of work I do in general. I mean, but yeah, it's very helpful for people. So, Right. Yeah. Yeah. It must be. Well, I can tell from the book that it must be very helpful for people. Yeah. So let's talk more about the God side of it because most, well, maybe not most, but a lot of people may think, yeah, it's either God or it's, you know, someone who is communicating with somebody who has died, you know what I mean? Like they don't see the connection. So share with us what that connection is. So for me, the God energy, for lack of a better way to describe that, and if, you know, we make a strong point in the book, or I do, I'm using the term God, but I don't care if people say it's higher power. I mean, whatever it is to people, um, they can just substitute that word because God tends to be a charged word for some people. But in that aspect, that energy, just call it universal love, all right? Or whatever. I feel like we're all energy and we're all sitting in a very porous reality. And for whatever reason, I can put my hand in and pull that out. The God energy meets the person 
in these writings, they always have an introduction, which is a theme for the writing. And you see in the book, you can get that. It's very metaphorical. It's beautiful language. And it just goes to the heart of it. We could talk, for example, we could talk about what is mindfulness and we could have a symposium on that. I mean, we could talk Mm -hmm. a lot about it or we could just say, God, what do you say mindfulness is? And get some sort of um, analogy or metaphor that really encompasses a heart, the heart of something in a much deeper way that makes you go, hmm, okay, I've got that. Um, I'm thinking of uh, uh, a person that I did a writing for, and uh, in the introduction, it says, you wear your wounds like a crown. Now, that's pretty stunning. If you take that image, what does it mean to wear your wounds like a crown, right? It, it, it makes you really look that's pretty stark and say, well, oh my gosh, I am in my victimhood all the time. I am, you know, there is no, and I'm proud of that. I'm such a great victim. I've even got a crown of victimhood, you know, and it lets people shift from that energy that they may be holding in a way. Um, So the God portions of the writing are that way. They just go straight to the heart of the matter and let you grasp these difficult concepts or behavioral patterns or whatever and and be able to see them for what they are enough to release them so i don't know if that answers what you asked yeah it does jocelyn i want to ask you this i know that at the beginning of the book you didn't consider yourself a religious person and you certainly were not a believer in any of the kind of things that that catherine did how has that changed do you consider yourself kind of a religious person now or a believer in different kinds of things? Obviously, you are a believer in different kinds of things than you were then, but can you address that? Yes. You know, I still don't speak spiritual. I don't. And, you know, for me... It's still a foreign language to you. It's still a foreign language to me, but it's, it's because I think, but I go to church and it was funny when Kevin was alive, he was always trying to get us to go to church. And sometimes we'd go and sometimes we wouldn't. And I, and of course now I feel horrible that I can go with him, you know, every single time, but it was really his thing, not mine. Through this experience, you know, knowing that there is a God, the death here is just a transition. You know, I don't subscribe to a, a regular religion or anything because it's just so much more expansive than that. You know, what Kevin said through Catherine, and this is in the book, when he got to heaven, He just said, this is just so much more than what I thought it would be that all my years of studying. And he was always was reading a spiritual text, always, you know, just very interested and would meet with someone every week to talk about it. And, you know, I don't subscribe to anything regular and I still don't speak spiritual, but I know that I'm just held in such big loving arms that it's fine. I don't, I don't have to do any of that. (laughs) You know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Right. You just need to be who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we move forward, I'm going to ask you five quick answer questions, if that's okay. And I'm just going to kind of bounce back and forth between the two of you. So the first question is this, and I'll ask, I'll ask Catherine, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Well, I would say I'm unlike Jocelyn. I love workshops. I'm a spiritual, (laughs) you know, I, I, get me to an all day retreat and I'm in my happy spot for sure. When I, you know, this 
gift presented itself. Also at that time, I don't know if you've ever heard of Eugene Geldlin, Biospirituality. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it was no. something that was a psychiatrist or a psychologist presented. And it was this idea that you kind of do an inventory of your feeling states. This is probably yeah. pre quote unquote mindfulness. This is like a precursor. And I would say the work that work has been very influential because it led me into this and there's a website biospiritual.org. And so I would say that was very influential. And of course you can't have had all the experiences I've had. And when I do my thing, I am in an agendaless state, which to me is mindfulness. I'm not running my agenda. I'm just in receptivity. The second question is this, how has mindfulness affected your emotions, Jocelyn? And, and I might say, how have things changed in your life as far as your emotions are concerned since this first experience happened that's outlined in the book? Well, it's actually been great for me because before this, apparently, I was much more of a control freak than I am now. And there's Catherine making her faces at me. Um, and I don't worry like I used to. I don't stress the small stuff. I don't stress a lot of the big stuff. And I'm so much calmer than I used to be. And I, you know, it's funny, I, I don't really see it because I felt like I was always like this, but my friends and my family have just noticed this huge difference in me. And I really think it's because I feel loved and I, I feel safe. Mm. And I think before all this, especially when Kevin was sick, for those years. And even before that, I don't think I ever really just felt safe inside myself. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. guess that's the best way to describe it. I just, I feel safer. And so I feel calmer and less worried and able to let things go and not have to always micromanage everything because it's really not important. Jocelyn, I'm going to ask you a second question here, and that is breathing. Is breathing a bigger part of your life? Like I'm talking about like deep breathing or noticing your breathing. Has it changed since this uh, experience? No. But now that you said that, I'm going to be thinking about my breathing all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just interested in that. And I want to ask you, Catherine, if you could recommend a book somehow related to mindfulness or any of this topic, what would it be other than Beyond Ever After, which is the book (laughs) we're talking about today? Unfortunately, I thought about this and I, you know, I have detached retina. I have, I don't read because I don't, this eye sees an image five times larger than the other one. So I don't read a lot but I do go to a lot of workshops and there's a person, we're in Santa Barbara, whose work I really love, who I think is amazing. And her name's uh, Radelay Weininger. And she's got a book called, I think it's called Heartwork. And she's a Buddhist and she is amazing. And her work is amazing. And um, so I go and have these experiences because I can't, read, you know, uh, my brain just can't process that way anymore since my, um, accident. So, mm. uh, and can you repeat the name of that book one more time? Yeah, I think it's called heart work. Uh, heart I will work. look it up. I will right. look and it's Radley Weininger M I think it's W E I N G E R and her, uh, it, I, I want to look it up because I definitely want you 
she is amazing, like mm. amazing. And in, I think she was a psycho. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll get the link for okay. you because I don't want to be talking out of school. Sure. And I'll put that link into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Oh yeah. She is, I mean, I go to her day long retreats and she is incredible. Her husband is also, he's a palliative care doctor and, um, well, he's, he's from England, so it's not, uh, anyway, I'll look it up, but, uh, anyway, they are doing amazing work and, uh, definitely something to check out. Definitely. Um, and I think it's heart work. Mm -hmm. So. You might want to ask Jocelyn a question while I'm looking okay. for that. Jocelyn, okay. uh, are there any apps which help you to be more focused or more centered? Any apps you would recommend at all? You know, it's so funny you should ask that because I am not someone who would ever do anything like that, but I did. <laughs> I did 10%. Oh. It, that app, it's, you know, if I can't go to sleep or something, I, I'll do one of their little guided meditations sometimes. So but that's the only one I've gotten. A friend of mine, another lawyer recommended it to me. And that's the only one I can say. Have you heard of that one? Yeah, I have. Yeah. 10%. Yes. Oh, uh, her book is Radelay, R-A-H-D-H-U-E Weininger. And the book's title is Heartwork, The Path of Self-Compassion. Okay. So Thanks who couldn't get behind that? that, right? Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> so. Well, Mm -hmm. it's been fascinating to talk to both of you. It really has. And like I said, I enjoyed the book very much beyond ever after. Such a powerful book, well-written and just pulls you right in. So Mindful Tribe, I recommend it, Beyond Ever After, and you can go to beyondeverafter.com. And Catherine and Jocelyn, thank you so much for both jumping on this call today. Well, Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. All the best to you. Bye now. Bye. 